This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to New Books and Philosophy, a podcast channel with the New Books Network. I'm Sarah Tyson, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Colorado Denver, and I'm co-host of the channel along with Carrie Figdor and Robert Talese. Together, we bring you conversations with philosophers about their new books, drawing from a wide range of areas of contemporary philosophical inquiry. Today's interview is with Rocio Zambrana, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Emory University. Her book, Colonial Debts, The Case of Puerto Rico, is just out from Duke University Press. What can debt reveal to us about coloniality and its undoing? In Colonial Debts, Zambrana theorizes the way debt has been used as a technique of neoliberal coloniality in Puerto Rico, producing profit from death on the island. With close attention to the material practices of protesters who have fought that destruction of life for profit, Zambrana argues that decolonization entails political economic subversion and transformative interruption of the hierarchies of race, gender, and class that fuel and are sustained by colonization. She shows us how organizing pessimism nourishes hope. Rocio, welcome to uh, New Books and Philosophy. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so let's get started by talking about your background and how you got to this project about debt and its relationship with coloniality. Okay. Um, so, so this project is, um, in a way, it's, it's a very old project. So I, I grew up in Mayaguez, Puerto Rico, um, and, um, and stayed for, for, for college in my hometown at the University of Puerto Rico in Mayaguez. Um, and I, um, so when I was initially a a psychology student, but then switched to philosophy, when I realized that that was, um, uh, a a thing, a discipline and a practice that (laughs) one could actually do. Um, and so, you know, I, I started, I was introduced to philosophy through an ethics course that Anaira Santori Jorge taught and, you know, rather than teaching your standard Aristotle, Kant, you know, um, and so on, um, she she taught Foucault and Arendt and mm. cases of institutional violence in, in Latin America. And I just thought, you know, this, whatever's happening in this classroom, that's what I want to do for always. So um, so I wrote a BA thesis, uh, was really wanting to write a BA thesis on the transition from, from Spanish to U.S. colonial rule. Um, and, and I did that despite the fact that some other 
um, I had some pushback from other other members of, of that department at that time um, who, who thought that this wasn't kind of philosophy proper. Of course, Santori um, was uh, just incredibly supportive and and wonderful. Um, and so so I wrote about, you know, colonialism um, and Puerto Rico um, that this was, you know, 2000 um, and it, it, at the University of Puerto Rico and then, you know, went to the New School for Social Research to do a, a master's and then a PhD in philosophy and, um, you know, then was interested in and, you know, just uh, did my duty in the discipline <laughs> but became interested in, uh, you know, uh, Marxism, critical theory, and therefore also German idealism. Um, so, so, so I um, ended up writing actually a PhD thesis that had to do with Hegel, which, you know, I drew from that a bit for my, my first book, um, had to do with Hegel normativity. Um, and, um, and, and it also had had to do with critical theory and conceptions of critique and critiques of capitalism and kind of arguing kind of a critical engagement with um, second and third generation Frankfurt school critical theory. Um, so, so when I, when I started as an assistant professor at the university of Oregon, um, I, you know, I, I, I worked on my first book on, on Hegel. And then when I turned to my second book, I thought I would, I would, um, you know, write uh, the book on critique and the book on, um, you know, critique, capitalism, neoliberalism. Um, and I wanted to return to questions of Puerto Rico, especially since I had been working on uh, since my, uh, my time at Oregon. Since I arrived there, I started working on more precisely on decolonial thought, especially in Iwal Quijano. Um, and the, co- the concept of coloniality of power, these debates about decolonial thought and decolonial feminism in philosophy. Um, and um, I was bothered by the fact that, you know, um, that we weren't talking about the colony of Puerto Rico, which is, um, you know, not, not yet had gone through a, um, uh, you know, a genuine <laughs> decolonization process. And um, I wanted to, d- despite the fact that in 1952 it had a drop a constitution and 1953 um, it had um, been taken off of the UN's list of non-self-governing territories. Um, so so I, I wanted to then um, write this book, but kind of exploring how neoliberalism and neoliberal rationality function in Puerto Rico. Um, but when I started to work on that project, I realized um, that the book should be about the debt crisis, which was, um, you know, uh, starting to to really, um, uh, you know, uh, t- take a take a new turn. This was in 2000. Well, I, I started writing the book properly 2016, which ended up being a pretty historic year because of. Um, um, the passing of uh, the Promesa Law that instituted a fiscal control board in Puerto Rico and um, a, a Supreme Court case in the U.S. Supreme Court that, you know, really um, kind of uh, put to rest any, any doubts about whether um, the decolonization process that had gone uh, on in, in, in 
the mid-century um, had been successful. Um, you know, it was revealed that, you know, sovereignty, um, uh, questions of sovereignty and self-determination so still remain within the U.S. Congress so mm. far. Puerto Rico is still and remains still to this day an unincorporated territory of the United States. Um, so, so I started to work on, uh, on the book on debt. Um, and, you know, I, when I started to work on the book, I thought, well, of course, there will be tomes of, of books on, on debt as a form of coloniality. I was interested in the notion of coloniality, of power and decolonial thought in this kind of Latin American key. Um, but I ended up not finding quite a, you know, f- finding all the terms that I was hoping to find. Um, so, um, cause I, I, you know, it was, it was clear to me that debt is a form of, um, c- a continuation of the colonial condition and what I was interested in, in, in exploring and, um, and thinking about was how, um, how it is a continuation of the colonial condition in the colony not in a post-colonial context, but in a still colonial context. Um, so, you know, in, in the Caribbean, of course, that, you know, to, to think of debt and, and colonialism is to, to always start from, from Haiti in the 19th century. Um, uh, uh, this, this, uh, uh, the, 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 what is called the independence debt um, um, that was levied on Haiti um, uh, by France and its allies. Uh, uh, as a a retaliation for the the one successful slave revolt in history and the the founding of the the first black republic of the hemisphere. Um, So, so, you know, so I thought that there would be quite a bit of of literature on on debt as as a, not just the continuation of the colonial condition, but as a form of coloniality. Um, and, um, and I did find a lot of, uh, uh, interesting, um, and, and very fruitful and important points of contact, but the particularities of Puerto Rico, um, uh, was, was just very, um, you know, re- required kind of, you know, kind of b- building up, um, and, and, and also not even building up, but documenting a lot of the conceptual, articulation that was happening um, uh, on the ground in, in Puerto Rico itself. So, um, so in a way, it's a continuation of that project that I, was, that I started my answer with in, at the University of Puerto Rico in Mayagüez as a, as a BA student, um, uh, thinking about how is it that colonialism is installed and how is, it is adapted in altered material historical conditions. Um, but of course, these are very particular conditions. Um, and it's a very, you know, it's a reflection on, um, uh, you know, very, very contemporary set of, um, set of, set of events. Yes. I mean, your analysis brings us through, for instance, Hurricane Maria, right? So, which again, changes the conditions on the ground that people are responding to and organizing against. Um, yeah. So this has been, this has been a work of, of 20 years in some ways of a couple of decades. Um, well, and it begins, you begin your introduction with what at first, well, it is an epigraph from Marx that is coats are not exchanged for coats. But that quotation, it turns out, is part of a longer epigraph that is a poem by Raquel Salas Rivera. 
Um, would you talk us about how, would you talk us through how that poem helps to set up the relationship between coloniality and debt in the book? Yeah, so um, Raquel Saras Rivera's um, Lo Terciario, the tertiary, um, is um, uh, just an incredible book uh, published in, I think, 2017, if I'm not mistaken. And um, in the book, he he rewrites, um, uh, you know, kind of Marx's account of value through the the case of Puerto Rico, one could say. Um, mm-hmm. And this particular poem, Coats Are Not Exchange for Coats, um, you know, just, you know, ca- caught my attention throughout the writing of the book entirely. Um, so I come, I, I come back to the book at the, at the very end. Uh, sorry, I come back to the poem at the very end of the book. Um, and, um, and I... I, I, in a way, the, the, the poem just captures many of the moves that I make throughout the book. Um, because, um, so what, what Salas Rivera does in, in the poem is um, really walking us through kind of the, the structure and the strictures of debt as a, as a form of deferral, um, as a form of diversion, which is temporal and material, um, and as a as a way of establishing, um, um, you know, a hierarchy. So it kind of indexes this material history that runs through not just labor but value, um, um, and not you know I don't want to say just culture. Um, I want to say you know race, gender, class, um, and um, it ends by. Um, really, um, um, you know, uh, uh, also, you know, kind of taking it to its ultimate conclusion, the work of debt as a form of capture um, by, by, by reco- you know, by, by making, um, you know, let the land itself, the rivers themselves um, into um, the heirs, the heirs of the, of the debt. Um, mm-hmm. So, so the, the poem is structured around, like, if, when I say that it's structured around the structure, uh, structured around the strictures of debt um, as a form of deferral and diversion, is that w- one of the kind of the main tropes of the book is to try to really understand how what is what is the how does debt operate, and it operates by opening a form of temporal gap. Um, it has to do with kind of a binding yourself to a future, um, a promise or a promissory note um, of repayment that binds you to a future purportedly irrespective of changing or altering conditions. Um, In a debt economy and financialized neoliberal capitalism, that itself becomes, right, the the generator of of value and profit. this is not particular to neoliberal capitalism. Of course, debt is not. Um, but but uh, but what I am exploring is how it is functioning here in this in this in this colonial context. Um, in 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 this colonial context and in the context of neoliberal financialized capitalism in a post financial crisis context. So, mm-hmm. um, so so 
so so Raquel, he he really um, you know kind of hits every possible point um, um, by by you know kind of establishing kind of the re- relationality, you know that that debt functions as a form of capture insofar as um, uh, uh, you know the 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 bank cap the capital and the colony itself, because the debt is a colonial debt, um, the capital slash the colony or colony, colony itself captures through a form of deferral, whereby, you know, um, payment is, is not really its end. But um, despite the fact that um, the, as the poem moves, um, there's a way to, there's an offering of my life to pay for the debt. But, you know, that is never enough. Um, the, the bank, the colony ends up asking for the rivers. Um, so, 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 so there is a, a range there from value in terms of economic value to sociality itself, um, to, to land river. So the question of ecological debts as well. Um, so, so it moves us also from, from, you know, this financial historical, material debts to, to, to these historical slash material debts. So, um, so it's, um, uh, uh, it was just a, a, a very striking, um, poem that, that really, um, uh, I think captured many of the things that I was not only thinking, but, um, really that were, were being articulated within a lot of, um, the, not just debates, but the, the forms of resistance in, in Puerto Rico, especially throughout those, you know, those years, 2016, 17, and ongoing. Yeah, and, and you've begun to sketch then for us this relationship between debt as a mode of neoliberal capture and subjection and debt as a form of coloniality. And so um, can we talk now about how they meet or land in Puerto Rico? Um you know, what the sort of austerity, but then also as you're starting to sketch the resistance to austerity in Puerto Rico, why do we need, why do we need to understand that relationship, I guess, between on the one hand, neoliberalism and um, on the other coloniality, which, which you begun to give us, but why particularly in Puerto Rico? Right. Um, so, so in a way, the kind of the, the, the thesis of the book um, is trying to think about, and I, I always apologize when I say this because it, 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 you know, it, it's like a mouthful. But um, <laughs> you know, I always want to think about, or the book tries to think about, or track the how coloniality operates in the colony, and you know that that might seem kind of again, kind of convoluted, you know, abstract, you know, philosophy talk, but it's very you know, what I mean is, is something very, very concrete. And I try to make it as concrete as possible throughout the book. Um, and so, so this notion of coloniality, I, 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 I should, I should mention that it, it, it you know, I, I distinguish it or, or it's distinct from the notion of colonialism. So one might just very minimally, the most, in the most minimal sense, think about colonialism as a political, juridical subordination or control. Um, but the notion of coloniality of power that was developed by Aníbal Quijano, a Peruvian sociologist, um, and um, and and the way that it has been transformed in the hands of um, 
many decolonial feminists um, um, uh, uh, in uh, like Maria Lugones, Judith Pinoza, Ochicuriel, and others. Um, uh, that notion tr- tracks the way in which um, the 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 persistence of the race, um, gender, class hierarchies installed and initiated by conquest and colonialism as a historical um, uh, as a historical fact. Um, it's how its persistence, you know, sur- um, how, how that race, gender, class hierarchy survives decolonization projects. So. Um, so, so the notion of coloniality and coloniality of power, coloniality of gender, is 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 a notion about the kind of the adaptation or the forms of updating the racial order that is the necessary feature that is that is really the invention of the installation um, and subsequent like mutations of modernity capitalism mm-hmm. um, or capitalist modernity. Um, so, so, so I want to make that distinction between colonialism um, and coloniality, especially in the case of Puerto Rico, because I'm, I'm sensitive to and worried about um, the fact that Puerto Rico as an unincorporated territory of the United States is still in a straightforward juridical political sense, mm-hmm. a colony of the United States. Um, but decolonial or pro- projects and processes of decolonization that you know do not um, that that stay within the purview of the self determination of of you know of of, of nation states um, um, do not necessarily center um, the racial order that is not just the legacy, but the continuing form of operation of colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I, I keep coming back to a quote by Ariana Godro in, in the book that the colony uh, transcurre or happens in repeated acts of capture. So in a way, I keep coming back to um, the, the, the question of where is the colony? What is the colony? Um, and... And so, so because I'm sensitive to projects of decolonization, which we've seen um, throughout the 19th century and the 20th century, kind of replicate a racial order um, in its very projects of independence. This is what Quijano and others in decolonial, in decolonial thought were worried about or tracking. Um, and of course, in the Caribbean and in other, and in other places, um, this uh, Kind of cr- critical assessment of decolonization processes, um, because because I'm sensitive to decolonization processes that do not dislocate the racial order that is the that is kind of the defining feature of the project of modernity and capitalism. Um, um, I, I'm interested in tracking how col- coloniality operates in the colony, and you know how how they how they relate to each other. So in the context of, of contemporary Puerto Rico in, in indebted, the indebted colony, um, you know, I'm, I, I try to track the way that, you know, neoliberalism functions 
as and through a debt economy, um, but how how then it kind of re reinstalls updates um, both the colonial condition, um, the the territorial status, insofar as there is a fiscal control board that was um, you know instituted by the passing of um, the late Promesa law, law Promesa by the the, the U.S. Congress. Um, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Puerto Ricans residing in Puerto Rico have no presidential vote, no representation in Congress. Um, so that's a way of kind of reinstalling the colonial condition or updating it. Um, but but what I'm interested in is really how, um, how coloniality operates in that context. And in particular, how... Um, you know, race and therefore also gender and class, um, not just hierarchy, but modalities of violence and precarization are adapted and updated through the this debt economy. So not just the debt crisis, the way that, that debt and um, debt restructuring through PROMESA, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, feeds um, austerity, feeds privatization, and many other projects that are, you know, eroding all the material conditions um, for, for Puerto Ricans um, um, living in the territory, but especially for racialized, mm-hmm. for, for black and non-white Puerto Ricans that are already marginalized or, or navigating precarious um, conditions. Um, and at the same time, we see um, kind of... Um, material conditions being created for um, and renewed for, um, you know, uh, creditors, corporations, and, you know, rich individuals um, through tax exempt foreign investment um, and in the realm of real estate. So, 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 so neoliberalism um, here, kind of neoliberal coloniality functions through kind of the two sides of the same coin that are debt and austerity. So that debt kind of, you know, it functions as um, uh, kind of an intensification of all these neoliberal measures that have to do with privatization and, you know, um, uh, again, kind of the the shift of of the cost of social reproduction onto populations um, um, and, you know, the kind of that what Lazzarato calls this inverse redistribution of wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, 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 so what I do is I, I in the book, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to track how the, the debt crisis, which is really kind of a debt economy, um, um, you know, uh, kind of adapts a racial order and intensifies its effects um, um, through through the mechanism of debt and debt restructuring, um, you know, uh, another you know another way of putting it to austerity, um, um, but another way of you know uh, an important feature, kind of the most concrete example of this is is taxation in um, in Puerto Rico, the colonial political economy throughout the 20th century and under U.S. Pol- colonial rule was, was always this notion of development. And of course, this mm-hmm. notion of development is a kind of a, a, a you know, a 
supremely like colonial apparatus in the mm-hmm. sense of, you know, it, it installs all these imaginaries and desires of modernization, technology, um, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and relegating to the past any form of life that is not, you know, to to the image of um, modernity, um, ca- capitalist modernity. So um, the um, uh, so, so 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 throughout the twentieth century, um, and it's starting in nineteen seventeen with triple tax exempt bonds, um, but al- already in nineteen oh six, you know, the U.S. Congress was. Um, was uh, discussing, you know, um, tax exemption or tax exempt investment for the um, development of infrastructure in the territories. So in 1917, this is kind of installed in Puerto Rico, and it continues throughout the 20th century that tax exempt um, foreign investment is kind of is the is the apparatus through which you know. Um, you know, economic development is pursued and modernization is pursued and so on. Um, in this, in this, and, and it, it, that, that actually generates a, a condition of the, a flight of profits, not re, reinvestment in the local economy. It doesn't actually impact, uh, it doesn't actually ameliorate questions of unemployment. Um, and so mass migration to the U.S. has always been part, even in times of economic boom, have, have always been part of, of, um, uh, of the political economy of uh, Puerto Rico. Um, and so, so, so today we see that in the realm of, of, of real estate, um, you know, attra- attracting, you know, this, this uh, attracting um, um, not just corporations, um, but also wealthy individuals through tax exemption, um, while we have as a, as part of debt restructuring, um, you know, regressive taxation. So, you know, cons- consumer tax here in Puerto Rico is 11.5%. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so you have, you know, a 44% population living below the poverty line. But of course, you know, t- taxation is severe for, for those populations while tax exemption is, is, is uh, uh, generated cu- coupled with question of privatization um, um, and so on, kind of the, the neoliberal kind of, you know, um, playbook. Um, mm-hmm. But in the context here of kind of the, the added um, um, possibilities given the, um, the, you know, the, the juridical political status of Puerto Rico as a, as a territory and non-incorporated territory. Right. Um, so, so what I'm interested then is kind of, you know, kind of not just looking at how, therefore, what we need to do is, you know, become a state or, uh, you know, an independent nation state, but really kind of track how this um, how, how it intensifies and, and replenishes a racial order within, within, within Puerto Rico itself um, so that projects of decolonization, you know, um, kind of remain at a proximity to those ends to really um, kind of interrupting that order um, rather than, you know, potentially reinstalling it even through decolonization processes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, and this really is the engine then behind your call for historical reckoning. And you say, this is a quote from you, historical reckoning is subversive if it interrupts modes of binding of a debt economy and the race, gender, class hierarchy that it reinstalls. And I hear, and in your answer, I hear the importance of this double move, right? Statehood or independence, if we're not also attending to that second part, those hierarchies, um, then in a way, the situation of coloniality remains and it continues doing its work. Um, And so for you, you talk about historical reckoning as a a means of attuning to the binding power of debt um, and how that can be, that binding power can be subversively redeployed. Um, And so, but that, right, that this has to be then an aesthetic project. It has to be one that works at the level of the body and sensibility um, because what those hierarchies are in part normalizing and making every day are, are things like anti-black violence, right? They become in your, in your use of, of Christina Sharp atmospheric. Um, so will you talk about um, why it's reworking the binding power of debt and why that has to be coupled with attention to aesthetic remaking? Yeah. So, um, so what I, so the first chapters of the book kind of, you know, they track, um, they, they track how, uh, neoliberal coloniality functions or works or operates. Um, and, and the second, second chapter, I, I kind of make it even more concrete, this, this distinction between, um, you know, the juridical political, um, and especially, you know, the way in which um, it can, the, for example, PROMESA, which institutes the Fiscal Control Board or La Junta, um, just continues this trend um, of, of the, the use of the Declaration of States of Emergency to install neoliberal rationality and, you know, and uh, uh, functions as a form of dispossession. Um, so um, I... I what I do in the, in the third and the fourth chapter is really take a look at forms of resistance and contestation, um, from, um, uh, that, that, that have been, um, at work in, in Puerto Rico. And what was the, the most striking for me, um, especially beginning from the 2016 on was the fact that, that people, people on the streets, collectives, um, a whole host of kind of political actors, they were, they were not, of course, they were interested in non-payment, you know, questions of, you know, of organizing around non-payment of a, of a colonial debt, of an illegal debt, of an odious debt, so on and so forth. There were many, many discussions about that. But what was most striking was that um, that the, the the ways in which folks organizing 
um, we're, we're much more interested in in what I kind of talk about as a, the reversibility of debt. So the, the way of kind of reversing or subverting the positions of power that debt installs. So this this idea of the creditor and the debtor. So um, so so rather than than kind of uh, merely organizing around debt non-payment or debt cancellation. There are many variations, and still are, of, of organizing around, you know, the subversion of the debt itself. That it is not um, that it is not our debt to pay, but rather that um, that there is a debt to be paid to us uh, because of the colonial um, colonial history. Um, so, and not just history, but ongoing. Um, colonial uh, 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 stat- status in all the ways that I've talked about, not just in the juridical political sense. Um, so, 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 so that's so. So the subversive redeployment of debt is is you know just to make the a little bit more precise is is that occupying the position of power that debt installs and ex- and uh, and expresses and and makes operate by flipping the order right you are the debtor you owe us rather than we owe you um so 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 there are many many examples of many especially kind of feminist anti-racist and anti-capitalist collectives i write quite a bit about in the book um, I collaborate with La Colectiva Feminista en Construcción, but there's also Jornada, um, Se Acabaron Las Promesas, Promises Are Over, um, and, 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 and many other, you know, uh, kind of there was very lively organization around us, debt audit and so on. Um, and they were all kind of, right, as a, using the very structure of debt, that very kind of deferral, um, that very form of accounting as a as a taking of that um, position of power and that um, um, that opportunity for account giving, and so um, so I do pay quite a bit attention to kind of sensibility and aesthetic remaking in in the book because I'm um, I'm interested in and and the fact that and uh, uh, some folks here were writing about the fact that. You know, many modes of protest, um, you know, themselves required kind of a whole shift in the very common sense of, you know, um, of the, the very public uptake of what was the debt, how it got accrued and what does it mean? Um, and so 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 I'm interested in, in understanding um, how how those kind of the coordinates of sense for for that are challenged by that subversive redeployment of the positions of power of debt. Um, and so I, I discuss that quite a bit in the book, but, but what I do want to say is that it, I, I don't just limit it to um, a need for kind of aesthetic, um, aesthetic um, remaking or um, kind of a, a, a shift in sensibility what I'm interested in is how does the racial norm operate? And I take the racial norm, kind of bourgeois whiteness, that kind of affirms a liberal capitalist, heteronormative, cis-heteronormative sense, um, how, how it operates and how it kind of delegitimizes 
not just other forms of living, um, but forms of resistance and contestation. Um, and I, so I, I don't, I take, I take my ex- exploration of the racial norm, um, not as a question of aesthetics or sensibility, um, as, as something, um, that is not a material praxis itself, but rather it is, when I talk about debt as a form of binding, it's also a form of, of coloniality because it binds, you know, it generates this idea of the unpayable debt as the failed neoliberal subject and as a failed colonial neoliberal, you know, a colonial subject, um, as a culpable subject that you couldn't, you know, you, you couldn't, um, you know, um, kind of reap the benefits of, of, of the economic system. Um, um, so, 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 so this whole kind of discourse about culpability, which animates, you know, this, this, this idea of austerity and the need for austerity and privatization and so on, that whole discourse, you know, it, it binds, it, it, it makes the racial norm work by binding productivity, propriety, whiteness, um, cis heteronormativity, um, kind of a, a liberal imaginary when it comes to politics. It binds it all together. It, it deploys it such that other forms of life or forms of contestation, you know, that actually disclose violence, disclose economic and racial and gender violence, they are indexed as themselves violent. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that, um, uh, and how that is very, very extremely astutely, um, intervened by, by some of the, the political actors on the ground, especially the collectives that I mentioned. Um, so, 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 so aesthetic, aesthetic interruption or remaking, you know, sensibility itself, um, all of those are modes of binding that have to do with a material praxis because um, uh, this question of productivity and propriety, you know, is a question about who is culpable and who is not, who can pay with their life through utility costs, through, you know, um, um, loss of housing, through, um, you know, loss of access to any essential service, which is not even named because otherwise, you know, um, legally other things would kick in in terms of debt restructuring. Um, so, so, so that's something that I explore quite a bit in the book, how, how aesthetic or, and aesthetic and epistemic interruption and remaking is a question of, um, how does the racial norm operate? And by the racial norm, I also mean racial gender norm and class norm operate. Um, and how, um, how it, it kind of gets adapted and reinstalled through re- debt restructuring. Um, so, so to, so decoloniality would, would require, right. A kind of a unbinding from that very desire and that very mm. imagination that captures these very projects of contestation. Yeah. I'm thinking of so many examples in the, um, in the United States, the um, of the difficulty that people can have in even registering protest as protest, um, and the way that 
the norms that you're talking about can kind of make even watching, for instance, a video of a police killing completely unintelligible to somebody um, as a killing, right? That the person appears violent as they're being murdered. Uh, it just really strikes me as an example of the way this, the um, hierarchies shape one's ability to even take in um, the experiences of other human beings and read them as like moral culpability, right? To be killed by state violence is to be morally culpable. Um, and you, so the, you offer many images in the book um, that you have all these really amazing images of protests um, throughout Puerto Rico. And you talk about protests that cross the line. And that's a, that's a, te- it's a technical term, right? Like this is a, it's, it's an important um, term for you in the book. And so I want to unpack that. And it, but I take it part of what you're doing um, is showing how these protests fail by certain norms, these norms you've been talking about. Um, they, these protests are seen as failing according to those norms precisely because they're working on the very production of those norms. They're refusing those norms. They're refusing, for instance, you talk about resilience um, as one of the latest ways we're supposed to be productive. It's like, well, sure, you've experienced um, a hurricane. Now be resilient in the face of it that this is another call to a form of productivity. Um, and so you talk about, I think, the way that the fact that these protests are labeled as failure is in some sense an index of their success as historical reckoning, um, but that there's still this difficulty in representing then these protests um, because of the normative frames through which people can take them in, through which they're intelligible to people. Um, and so there's a tension there, right, between being able to like work on the production of these norms and then being able to be understood as even a protest at all. Um, so I don't know if you would help me unpack that if I'm, I'm sort of getting this right and if there's a, an example that you want to dive deeper into. Yeah, um, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, um, I'm grateful for such a great reader. Um, so yeah, so so that's one of the things that um, that was extremely striking to me. And you know, um, this this idea, this notion of pasarse politicamente to politically cross the line a play on word because you know in Puerto Rico like it's also like estás pasado, te pasaste. it's like also slang for like like you exceeded like you're amazing um but it's also like you really crossed the line with me it has many valences um and so so um this Puerto Rican poet and sociologist Guillermo Rebollo Gil that he wrote he writes about this in a a, a book um uh, Ultima Llamada and I, and I was really struck by by his analysis because um, you know it, because of the way in which he explores um, through through an account of an, or a reflection of um, he was part of of the the student strike in the University of Puerto Rico in 20, 2010, uh, 2011. Um, so he, he writes about these two moments of the strike um, and um, uh, the strike as kind of, you know, initially is a, a creative and, you know, kind of exuding all these really positive values of like horizontalism and um, 
kind of, um, you know, ecological, you know, there were, you know, queer, many, many ways of kind of building in common that were part of the Student Strikers Project in 2010. That was actually in response to kind of late, uh, sorry, Law 7, which was um, um, kind of the kind of a big, big first austerity measure um, um, and in response to fiscal crisis. So the he, he talks about this, you know, this first moment of, 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 of protest and, and its public uptake um, in tension with the second moment of the protest um, that was was seen as kind of exceeding um, because of, 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 of violent confrontations um, with police and with, you know, um, so, so, so he, he really kind of, he talks a little bit about, well, not a little bit, he, he gives this analysis of that, that strike. And he also kind of extends that analysis to thinking about just kind of everyday forms of protest, um, whereby, um, there's kind of an inter, an interruption of sense that doesn't allow for, um, the action to appear as protest at all, but it, you know, it appears as kind of a, you know, a site of violence or stupidity or, you know, not a, pro- not a protest at all. And so, so what I do is, you know, I, 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 I was interested in um, thinking about kind of um, the, the, something he, he made very clear, which was that, you know, a lot of the protests and a lot of forms of organizing have become kind of scripted and they become, you know, sites of scripted propriety. Um, and so he, he defends all of these moments of excess um, that are seen and kind of get chastised by the public uptake or in public uptake. He, he defends them as kind of hopeful protests in their failure because, because they really would require a transformation of the of the framework of sense itself, of the coordinates of sense to be able to grasp them as protest at all. Um, they're seen as violence of, as excess, um, and so on. Um, so, so I'm in, I was, I was really interested in that and, and, and especially in, in exploring kind of, um, yeah, all these ways in which again, kind of, you know, scripted propriety, all these ways in which even in the most, um, promising of, you know, political projects, you know, they, they end up reinstalling, you know, the, the racial gender class norm um, and thereby en- end up kind of um, adapting the very material, juridical, epistemic and aesthetic forms or coordinates that that lead to their forms of precarity or violence in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's what I'm trying to struggle with in that, in that, in those chapters to, to think about, um, you know, all of these moments of, of protest that um, are fleeting, but they're hopeful um, because they, they break something um, and they might not come to something as a political project of a new nation state or something of the sort, but they certainly challenge, um, they challenge um, sense itself and common sense itself. Um, 
unfortunately, they thereby most of the times, you know, are, are seen as forms of violence or are seen as forms of stupidity or excess or lack of control or so on and so forth. So I'm interested in that. I'm interested in how, you know, how the racial norm operates and how its interruptions, you know, um, by and large, you know, they end up failing or they end up being co-opted um, in in the process of really um, um, cont- contesting its its very operation. Um, mm. So so yeah. So so there are many examples in the book. Um, I, I tried to be as concrete as possible, um, and 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 you know that my aim in the book was really also to to just you know quote as much and you know you know center as much um, folks that were writing here um, in Puerto Rico and um, and we're also ri- writing from their experience of of being um, um, activists in these pro- or active in this a- acting in these processes um, so so you know um, um, you know la colectiva feminista en construcción is a, a feminist collective that is um, you know uh, uh, draws from the tradition and um, of, of black feminism and decolonial feminism anti-capitalist um, organizing as well. Um, and, um, you know, they, they have been really incredible in, um, you know, finding different ways of, of, as an organization, as a political project of really kind of challenging those bounds of sense. So, so they did, for example, a feminist embargo where they kind of, they went to banks and, you know, through protests kind of had, these banks had to like, shut down and there were banks that were linked to the housing crisis that is linked to the debt crisis. And so, so they, in, 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 in inverting those positions of power, um, through, for example, it's, you know, having the banks closed down even for a couple of hours, um, you know, they're trying to kind of, you know, um, kind of, it's a, it's a pedagogy in mm-hmm. linking, um, the debt crisis with racial and gender violence in particular, um, you know, kind of the, the fact that women and especially also not non-white women and black women in, in Puerto Rico are the most um, impacted um, by um, um, the housing crisis, the labor crisis and and um, and uh, uh, yeah, and, 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 and other forms of and other forms of gender violence. They they also did a um, uh, a planton feminista, like a, a sit-in um, that um, you know uh, uh, just just this year actually was uh, they they called for a declaration of state of emergency of gender violence because of especially in the context of the debt crisis but after maria and in, and then in the pandemic um cases of femicide and um, domestic violence trans femicide um just very much on the rise um and um so in this year it was you know they're they're subverting that very mechanism by which neoliberal rationality was installed in Puerto Rico, the declaration of state of emergency, um, to try to kind of fiscalize or like make the state and its you know its all of its arms responsible for um, the material conditions of 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 the lives of uh, of those who were impacted by gender gender violence. 
Um, you know, just just recently this this March, they they did a, another um, because of two cases of femicide. Um, um, they they did a, a another set of protests that followed up on on this sit-in on this planton feminista, um, where they 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 went. They didn't just do kind of a march. They did a sit-in in front of La Fortaleza governor's um, um, uh, house. Um, they they did a sit-in. Then um, they went for a whole week of of different protests. They went to. The justice, the justice department, the um, the police headquarters, and then to the mayor's um, centers, um, and in fact, like we're able to have uh, folks in 38 different um, uh, towns in Puerto Rico um, organize on their own um, different um, uh, um, kind of sites of accountability um, to to their their local government. Um, to to ask where is the state of emergency uh, the, of gender violence? Mm-hmm. Um, where is it? And it's you know uh, to to try to kind of again you know I, I see it as a pedagogy whereby um, you know they interrupt this idea that this is kind of a you know a personal problem um, that this is not a systemic issue. Um, that it's not just a patriarchal or an issue of patriarchy, but it has to do with, you know, with um, um, it has to do with um, race. It has to do with, um, with 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 class. It has to do with how the debt crisis has intensified those modalities of racial gender violence. Um, and so, so, so these are kind of. The ways in which, and those are two examples of many other other things that they have done, um, but ways of again trying to, you know, um, interrupt common sense, um, and and thereby try to disclose um, um, the very kind of the, the the connections between the debt crisis and which which seems as a very abstract thing, a financial crisis, but it. It's it, it's effectivity. It's work is actually in the very material conditions of of um, of, of Puerto Ricans. Yeah, and I just have to note that your book is an amazing archive of protests. You give you do a wonderful job, I think, of giving your readers a real sense of a, a longstanding um, longstanding work of protest in Puerto Rico, um, and. Then your conclusion is titled Decolonial, Decoloniality as Reparations, which I think makes so much sense coming out of what you were just saying in particular. Um, by putting these concepts together, you show that they necessitate undoing current necropolitical conditions in order to bind life anew, right? To interrupt life as it's happening and to bind it anew. And you discuss this binding anew as a disordering. Um, and you link that disordering to pessimism. And so will you talk for a moment, <laughs> what does it mean to organize pessimism? It's such a, it's so rich. This ending is so rich. So I'd love to talk, unpack it a bit. Yeah. So there, you know, I'm, I'm also, um, so I'm quoting um, Rafael Bernabe, who's quoting Walter Benjamin, who's quoting Pierre Naville. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> So what I'm interested there is, you know, and, and so the chapter 
decoloniality on reparations. Um, so I was interested in kind of thinking about um, all this long-standing tradition of, of land, what was called in the in the seventies um, uh, land rescue, like land occupation. And so, what does it mean to occupy land in occupied land? Um, so it's a it's a form of you know it has been throughout the entirety of the twentieth century a way of dealing with a um, a housing crisis. Um, uh, questions of migration within within the archipelago, um, of displacement, of forms of you know of of managing forms different rounds and different ways of, of forms of dispossession, but they're also a way of kind of taking back what is owed, um, and um, so so it's a way of um, you know, going back to Raquel Salas Rivera's uh, poem, so it's a it's a way of kind of owning to the fact that, you know, um, what what does it mean to be the heir of um, of 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 a debt? Well, in fact, if the debt is if if the position of the creditor and the debtor is inverted, then th this is mine to take. Um, and so I I kind of explore a little bit um, that. That very, that very kind of longstanding tradition of of taking back land in Puerto Rico, um, and um, and so I, I kind of call this rep. It can I say that it can be seen as a form of reparations because of I don't want to stay with just the aesthetic problem that we were just talking about with protest. I wanted to you know to make very clear that this is about you know material conditions. Um, and so, so, so I, I, I explore that a little bit. It, it requires much more space than you know I have in the book. So that is a, another project. But um, um, so I, so I wanted to explore that, and and I wanted to also kind of call it reparations, but again, kind of dislocate reparations from a liberal discourse. Um, because I'm worried about this idea that, you know, debt restructuring or even debt cancellation or debt forgiveness is an entry back into financial health or to the financial markets. Um, so, so that's, that might ameliorate the situation of the current debt crisis. I, you know, if, if it were done in a, in a way that is, you know, um, redistributive in a, in a, a, a just way, but but that that is not going to dismantle the conditions that that generated this debt in the first place, um, this financial debt, but also the debt you know that is historical that has to do with a history of material dispossession, epistemic dispossession, um, um, all of these forms of dispossession. Um, um, that are not just the legacy of colonialism, but the ongoing ongoing coloniality. So, so I wanted to talk about reparations, um, and and you know, so and and but not in a liberal context, not in the context of you know, here is a blank check, then we can absolve the 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 creditor or the you know the true debtor of their debt. Um, um, so, so. I'm, I'm interested in this notion of pessimism 
um, in the way that, um, that, you know, Benabe and, um, and Benjamin talks about it, um, because it is, it is precisely geared against the liberal imaginary of, um, progress of, um, you know, um, of, uh, uh, this, this question of, you know, uh, inclusion, progress, access, you know, r restoring financial health, access to, um, you know, to, to kind of the capitalist modern world through de like development, even in an ecological key. Um, so, so, you know, questions of inclusion or rights or the status question of statehood versus the nation state. So, so I was interested in kind of, you know, notions that, you know, that, that really challenge that, that capture of even the most promising of political projects that are contesting this very order. Um, and so rather than optimism, rather than kind of any type of utopian impulse, um, I think pessimism, because it is a world that is kind of collapsing, um, that, that maybe should not be restored. Um, this world of ca capitalism, the, the way that the racial norm operates. Um, and so, so, so to be a pessimist about those conditions is to, to think about material conditions here and now and bind them anew in a different key. Um, and, you know, I've been working a little bit with the kind of questions of counter memory and dystopia that kind of push back against this this kind of liberal take takeover of like catastrophe or you know apocalypse or especially like in the context of the pandemic I, I do it by thinking a little bit um uh, reading Juliette Espinosa and uh, Cydia Hartman and um um you know kind of decolonial feminism and the um um Black decolonial feminism and, and from the Caribbean, in the Caribbean, and Afro pessimism, and to, to really think about um, what, what would it mean to um, to kind of think about decoloniality uh, in a way that doesn't get co opted by the liberal imaginary of inclusion, um, because the the whole the whole um, point of of decoloniality is to to understand the the or, or, or to, to index and to really unbind those systemic um, th those systems that are in place that will that 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 permit um, the adaptation and renewal of of kind of this this of this racial order um, that is necessitated by um, capitalism um, and its aim of of profit. So, so pessimism is a way of, you know, what do we have in front of us here and now um, that could, you know, um, b bind life anew without it being, you know, kind of turning away from um, the keys of um, kind of the liberal imaginary that is the epistemic kind of aesthetic arm of um the cap capitalist modern world. Great. Well, so what are you working on now? Well, I'm working, I'm starting very um, initial stages of this, this project, you know, subversions and refusals of private property. 
um, by just um, thinking about that, um, you know, uh, race, racial regimes of property, coloniality, um, and kind of different different forms of contestation, subversion, or or um, this kind of you know um, uh, re refusal of kind of the, the questions of private property land um, in the in the Caribbean. So mostly in Puerto Rico, um, but the project might, might also have other points of contact. So um, it it it's a, it will grow out of um, some of the work of the conclusion for sure. Oh, that's great! I'm so glad. Yeah, there's so much in it. Um, so I'm glad you're going to pick up some of those threads. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for this discussion today. Thank you so much, Sarah.